You are listening to Redefining Disability, an adaptive sports podcast brought to you by Move United. I am your host, Sean Butcher, and I have the privilege of serving as the editor of Move United Magazine, the nation's leading adaptive sports publication. Each week, tune in to hear how sports have made it possible for our nation's adaptive athletes, training tips from the best coaches and program leaders, and news on the latest technology, equipment, and trends in the industry. James Gumbert would describe wheelchair rugby as an incredible game, something he was missing since he had been injured. He was first introduced to the sport in 1992 by Hall of Famer Stephen Scott and helped start a club team in Austin, Texas. He played there for four years and then played in Houston for four more. In 1997, he went back to Austin to start another team and he was trying to manage, coach, and play at the same time. Then he realized he needed to pick just one. So Gumbert started coaching. Coach Gumby, as he is called by many, would then go on to coach the U.S. development team in 1999 and took over the national team after the 2004 games in Athens. He is still blowing the whistle today. So we chat with him about the contact and camaraderie the sport of wheelchair rugby is known for. So, Coach, it's great to talk to you today. You as well, Sean. So, obviously, we're, going, we're talking about the sport of wheelchair rugby but before we talk about the sport uh tell me a little bit about how you got into it and specifically how you got into coaching well i I actually played before i uh started coaching i was introduced to the sport by uh, hall of famer stephen scott in 1992 and we started a club team in austin texas um and we we weren't the best team but we had a lot of fun and I knew from the moment that I jumped in a competition chair and rolled out onto the court the very first time uh, that this was the sport for me. It was, uh, uh, it was something that I'd been missing since I'd been injured and to be able to find a competitive sport that was built for quadriplegics. And um, it was, it was, it was, uh, Overwhelming. I mean, I've been searching for it for so long. And so started my journey late because, I mean, the sport wasn't invented until I was uh, in my late 20s and started playing and uh, played in Austin for four years. And then I got an invitation to go play in Houston, which was a much more competitive team Mm. and started competing with them and played with them for four years and then, but that I was commuting back and forth. And I mean, if you've ever commuted, it's like, you know, <laughs> you want to leave a car in one place and a car in the next place. And uh, we were practicing three times a week and I was trying to live out of a suitcase. And uh, I mean, it was a lot of fun, uh, but it, at some point it was time to try and uh, settle down. And so we started another team back in Austin in 1997 and uh, when we started it, it was just an idea of a bunch of uh, teammates getting together and making a team and having fun. And um, I was kind of the, the manager, coach, player, uh, every baseball cap you could put on, I was wearing them. And <laughs> the players came to me and they said, you know, you need to pick one because, you know, you're, you're trying to coach and play and you're not doing any of them great. And, I was, uh, as I said, I was already past my quote unquote prime. And so it it seemed like it would be easier to pick up a whistle 
and blow that rather than try and chase these guys and gals up and down the court. And uh, it fit, right? And I had a lot of great mentors that took me under their wing and taught me, you know, not just about uh, the X's and O's, but um, developing relationships and being a good role model and being a uh, um, being a person in someone's life that makes a difference. And uh, I'll always be grateful to so many of those people. And so in 1998 slash 99, I started my international coaching career. And uh, we worked with the development side in 1999. And then Kevin Orr and myself took over um, working together in 2001. And we worked through the Athens games in 2004. And then after that, I took over. Uh, the head coaching responsibilities and uh, still still out here blowing the whistle and uh, just very grateful and humble in these times to appreciate what the sport means to uh, so many. And uh, just to be a part of it has been uh, an incredible journey. Yeah, and, and just the, the uh, longevity that you have in the sport is indicative of how uh, how much the sport means to you, obviously, as well. It it really is, Sean. I mean, I look at what it's what it's been to me, but it's uh it's what it's given back to me in in reality. I mean, I've seen marriages, and I've seen you know athletes have kids, and you know we we've all gone through the pandemic together, and it's. You know, it is, we talk about with USA Wheelchair Rugby that we are a family. And um, there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, there is an enormous amount of buy-in by the athletes and staff uh, that are living this dream that we're chasing, you know, to be the best that we can be. And uh, it is life-changing. And uh, I, I know I'm not the only one on the team that would, say that their lives have been better because they've been a part of it. Yeah, indeed. And, and, and what do you think is it about this sport specifically that, that draws uh, athletes and players to it? Contact. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's, what do you say? You know, it's like uh, you, you see players and athletes out there and they're just running into each other in a wheelchair. And it's like, if this happened out on the street, you know, they'd, they'd haul you off, you know, they they think that there's something mentally wrong with you. And, but we get to play on a basketball court and all of a sudden it's an incredible game. And I, I've, I've always said that if I do my job right as a coach and as a promoter in some ways is that if you go to a match and you see the chair as a way to play the sport, not that someone's confined to it, that I've done my job because um, that's really the one of the unique characteristics about it is people see it and they go, man, I wish I could play it. And it's like, why not? You know, and where we've been one of these sports that was developed for quadriplegics because, you know, there wasn't a real true sport for us uh, to be able to have this uh place in time where we've come from being like quad rugby to wheelchair rugby, where there's variants where, 
you know, everybody from Prince Harry, you know, played in the Invictus games to, you know, uh, our, our veterans that have come back from uh, overseas theater that have been injured to be able to play this and uh, not because they're quads, but because it's just such a, such a cool sport has been uh, an incredible thing to watch and be a part of. And I, I think that's, that, that's a big draw. The, the collisions, the, uh, uh, the camaraderie and, you know, at the end of the day is, it's like sport is sport. And uh, I mean, there's a winner and loser when we play and, and people appreciate that. And it's, uh, we're not playing for hugs. We're playing to win, you know, and it's, <laughs> it's, it's a lot of fun. It is, is uh, and whenever we get that chance, you know, to put that, that player uh, that is not a quad or maybe an amputee or, you know, somebody that might classify into the Paralympic uh, side of, of our sport, but we will do a fundraiser or something. We'll bring somebody and put them in a chair, you know, and obviously, you know, they've got full function and so they can throw the ball a lot better than we can. And, uh, but the, the funny story is, is like, you know, well, um, if you go out there and you beat us, well, you should feel really good about yourself. You beat a bunch of guys in wheelchairs. But if you go out and you lose, and you will lose, you just <laughs> lost a bunch of guys in wheelchairs. And so it's it's a, there's two sides to every book, right? And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's 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 a neat thing, and it's very infectious in our community. I mean, we've gone from nowhere to somewhere in a little less than thirty plus years. And uh, while we are not basketball, and we're not you know goal ball or any of those uh, uh, incredible Paralympic sports, we've carved our own niche out. And it's fun to, you know, when we go through the airport, people go, those are those crazy guys that run into each other, you know? And we're like, yeah, you know, it's a, I wouldn't say it's a badge of honor. I'd say it's a, it's, it's, it's something that we've worked hard to uh, build and uh, to have that, is, uh, I mean, people recognize. I mean, hey, Sean, the last time we played in the, in the Paralympic Games, we were on live against the NFL. Mm-hmm. That's huge. I yes. mean, in, in our movement, in our world, that's like, hey, they, <laughs> they recognized us. I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's neat to be a part of something like that. And I know, Coach, since you mentioned uh, collisions, I, I have a two-part question. One, what what do you think is it is about the collisions that uh, excites a player or players? And then for those uh, watching or concerned about getting into the sport, what about the safety element of that side too? Yeah, well, I mean, as long as I've been around the sport and played the sport, we started off playing in our everyday chairs. So if you can imagine, you know, not the, the chairs you might see at an airport or maybe a hospital, but it wasn't much different than that. I mean, these were, these were not uh, sport chairs. These were like everyday chairs that we literally would switch the wheels out on because we didn't want our everyday wheels to get busted up. So we'd put on, you know, our, our playing wheels and go out there and, I think a lot of the collision kind of stuff that sells to the, to the athletes is, is that, you know, so many of the 
the people that are in this population that started quad rugby, uh, they were daredevils. I mean, you know, they were jumping into a pool head first. They were riding a motocross bike. You know, they were they were doing something that was on the edge. And, you know, that 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 doesn't go away after you get injured. You know, they're it's it's still inside you. And for these um athletes to be able to find this and connect with this and get that same adrenaline rush and get that same feeling of of uh, freedom. Uh, that's the easiest way I can describe it. Is is like you know you, you, that sense of being alive again um, is is a big draw, and it's not just for guys. I mean, gals too. Uh, we're we're co-ed sport, and you know we we have a on our USA side right now. We have a we have a an incredible young lady that's an athlete, uh, and she is. Small in stature, but she's not afraid of anything. I mean, she'll run head first into you know the strongest player that we have, and um, as for no quarter, so it's. I think that's where some of the uh, the attraction comes from, and it's it's uh, you, you can see it the second somebody rolls on the court, and they they they're like they they mold into the chair. They really do. I mean, it's like the chairs that we started with, as I was describing earlier, were everyday chairs. But now the chairs are, um, they're built to both give and absorb impact. And when we talk about, you know, you mentioned it's like the safety factor. If we bring somebody out and, you know, we're trying to sell our sport, I mean, the last thing we want is somebody to flip over and, you know, bust their head open or something like that. we really make sure that, uh, you know, through our equipment committees, through our safety committees, that we're doing everything uh, to protect our athletes. The most common injury that we have has to do with hands. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, somebody's going down to pick up a ball and roll it up on the side of their wheel. It might get caught against somebody else's. But, I mean, that's the biggest injuries that we have traditionally. I mean, People flip over? Yes. Do they get hurt? Uh, in my years of doing this, I've seen maybe three injuries that were that were somebody had to get stitches. But I mean, it's that's about the extent of it. So I mean, it's a relatively speaking, a pretty safe sport. Yeah, and and nothing is without risk, right? <laughs> I mean, well, as twenty twenty proved, right? You know. Very true. I mean, but going down a streak it involves risk, and and so mm-hmm. there's risk in everything. You you mentioned um, a basketball court, so let's talk a little bit about the specifics of the sport. You know, it, it is a sport played on a standard, you know, basketball court. What are what are the dimensions of you know what are the dimensions of the, uh, you know, uh, of the court? What are the? I know it's a four on four. Kind of go into those types of specifics. Sure. Our sport was, is played on a, a regulation court, which is 94 feet by 47. And um, we have the object of the game is to uh, take a, a rugby ball, which is a volleyball for us, a traditional volleyball. And it's advanced from one end of the court, think like a basketball player inbounding the ball and going down all the way through the uh, baseline on the other side of the 
court separated uh, by two cones that are 24 feet uh, apart. Uh, you have four players on each team that are on the court at a given time. Uh, those players are all given classification. And what that means is basically, you know, like if you've got more function than I, you're going to have a higher classification. Um, and those are done from 3.5 to 0.5 in 0.5 increments. And you can have between your four players out on the court, you can have eight points. So if you were doing the math, you know, between those four players, you might have four players that were class 2.0s. And, or you may have a, two players that are class 3.0s and two players that are 1.0. Um, basically what you try to do as, as a team is to be able to put the best matchup and mix um, from the, um, from the squad that you got. I mean, it's, it's interesting to watch them because from uh, some teams, perspective their their resources their pool of athletes isn't that big and so you know you have to take what you got uh and so they have learned how to get more with less and we're in that category we you know as the u.s we always say that one of our mottos is is do more with less and so we ask our our athletes to play above that that level when they can and it's uh it's it's neat and so, sorry, I got distracted off the classification issue, but uh, men and women play. It's a co-ed sport. Um, the uh, female athlete gets a half-point deduction off of their classification. Um, so, they become a very big commodity because you're able to add that extra half-point onto your total athletes that you have on the court uh, so you could have eight and a half points out in the court. It's pretty, that's a big commodity in, in our world where it, where the smallest little edge matters. But um, like I said, to play our sport, you advance the ball from one end of the court to the other. You have to bounce or pass every 10 seconds. Uh, forward pass, backward pass are legal. But just like in basketball, when you cross over into the front court, mm-hmm. if you come back, it's uh, over and back. Uh, the ball goes out on the side. The last person uh, to touch it, it's, uh, it's the other team's ball uh, where the ball went out. Uh, we have a 40-second clock that you have to score within 40 seconds or it's a turnover. We have uh, common fouls like you might see in hockey. Uh, you can't punch any. I mean, it happens, but you can't punch anybody. You can't, um, you know, common foul like a, a spin of the chair. So you hit somebody behind the back of the wheels and, you know, spin them around. That is, those are fouls and you have to go and serve um, a minute usually in the penalty box, which looks much like a think hockey. I mean, in, in that. Mm-hmm. So, and it's that the other team scores within that minute and it's a goal release type of a uh, way of uh, a play. And then, the other so, so that means the players, I mean, that means the team is down one player during that penalty box. Just right, like, power play. Yep. Same thing, power play, right? And so uh, the front of where we score, where I was talking about the two cones being separated 24 feet apart, there it comes out. We call it the key, 
But if you're thinking again, hockey, it looks like the crease, you know, like the, the area in front of the, the goalie is, uh, is what we call the key. But if you're, if you're looking at it, you can only have three defensive players. So, you know, from a defensive strategy type of look at it, you're looking at this where you may fall back into what we call that key area and try and take that space. Mm-hmm. The fourth uh, player on your team can't enter into that key. Uh, otherwise, it's just considered a violation on the defense because it takes up so much space that the offense can't actually have a, you know, a path or an avenue to be able to, to score. And so that's the, the, the crazy part about it. And I'm, I'm sorry, that's the rules about it. But like we were talking about earlier, the crazy part is, is how these chairs are going up and down the court. You know, you have these strong athletes that can push from one end of the court to the other in less than five and a half seconds. Sean, I don't know if you're a math man, but that kind of gets up into like 15 to 20 mile an hour range. (laughs) And when they hit somebody, it, I mean, it's not just the visual, it's the noise. I mean, it is, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a crowd pleaser or it's a crowd. uh, Oh my gosh. They're, they're killing each other out there. One of my favorite stories of all time is, is like we were, training in a parking garage because of, uh, you know, you could go and push and it's safe and everything else. And the, the guys were up on the very top and they were passing a ball and banging into each other. And then all of a sudden the police showed up. <laughs> and I'm not kidding. True story. The police, three cars get out and uh, the police come up to us and we're all stopped lights on. And the policeman comes over and goes, what in the world is going on? And it's like, we're up here pushing and playing. It's like, well, we had reports of gunshots happening up here on top of this parking garage. And we were, we started laughing. <laughs> What's so funny? And so we showed him, you know, we, we run into each other and it sounded like a gunshot, you know, and he goes, you can't do this. You know? And it's like, well, what do you, how are we doing anything wrong? And it's like, I don't know, but you can't do this. <laughs> and it's, it was, uh, it was just a, a great moment that kind of that's the kind of attitude that our, our athletes have, you know, we'll train anywhere. We'll do anything. The collisions are great because we want to sell the sport because we really feel like when people see it, it's a real easy game to pick up. It's a real uh, crowd favorite type of game. The, the games are 32 minutes in length, but an hour and a half in duration. So we do, four eight-minute quarters, and uh, it usually takes about an hour and a half of real time to play it. And and um, is that because of, like, timeouts or does this uh, – or does Yeah, that... well, stop and go like in basketball, right? Okay, yeah. So, like when there's a goal, it stops until the, the first touch uh, by the inbound on the next – by the other team. And so, you have stop and go. We have a 10-minute timeout. We I'm not 10-minute time. 10-minute – Halftime and uh, uh, four T or four TV timeouts and two coaches timeouts. So it it works out pretty predictably to about an hour and a half. And, and um, you mentioned, of course, that the goal of, is to advance the ball from one end to the other. Is the 
is it the ball that has to cross the plane? Is it you know sure. is it the player or or what what is what is constituted a point? Yeah, that's fair. We get one point or try is how we refer to it. One point for the try. If you have possession of the ball going over the baseline with any two wheels on your chair, except, uh, you know, all of our chairs have safety devices or wheelie bars. Uh, those don't count. So you can think the two front wheels, the two back wheels. You can come at it from the side and cross over with your front and your back, but it's any two wheels while having possession of the ball. And uh, it's, you know, it's, you would think that as simple as, as it sounds that, uh, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of stops and our game totals would probably be 55, to 60 points a game per team. And so it's a fast action up and down the court kind of uh, game. And it's uh it's neat. It's uh, very seldom do you see um, a game that's kind of like slowed down and played um, more methodically. It's it's usually an up tempo type game. And you know, obviously, uh, your career in coaching. How how do you coach or train someone to you know kind of play the sport? Well, when we started out, like we were talking about earlier, you know, it's, it's all about the quadriplegic, you know, it's finding that functional athlete, you know, that can come out and be classed into the sport, A, and then B, from that, uh, be able to overcome some of the adversities that happen as being, as you know, quad is a lot of the quadriplegics that, that started the sport, they couldn't sweat. They couldn't get their heart rate up. And it was all just because of their injury levels. And that is still true. That hasn't changed so that the, the, the guys and gals that are neurologically impaired have, you know, some of those same limitations. Athletes that are amputees or born with disability or, uh, you know, maybe catch some type of virus or disease um, um, in their life because, those athletes that don't have that neurologic component per se, I mean, they're, they can sweat, they can, uh, their heart rate, you know, go to um, higher levels than, than what a quad could. And so they bring a a special part to any team uh, that has them. And uh, when you're looking for an athlete or you're, you know, you're talking about training athletes, it's really important just to understand what uh, an athlete looks like that you're that you're trying to coach. I mean, so many uh, disabilities have different needs, and as a coach, understanding them and working with them is uh, it's, it's part of the game. I mean, if you're going to do it at elite level, you've got to know the difference between Marie Charcot tooth disease, uh, somebody that's had bone cancer and somebody that broke their neck and because each of those athletes may be elite in their world, but may have, you know, different levels of exhaustion or, you know, different um, areas of concern when you're uh, bringing them into the sport, whether it be through, you know, skin issues or muscle breakdown or whatever it might be. Uh, So it's, it's very important. And most elite coaches, um, 
they either learn how to do it or they find somebody on their staff that is really good at doing that. And uh, because picking the right athlete is everything. I mean, if uh, you're doing the, the, the game for fun, I, I, I think that there's a place uh, I say, they always say that, that there's a place at the table for everyone in our sport, whether you're the athlete that is the first to the gym or the athlete that can't find the gym. Um, there's a, a good place for you in our sport because uh, we are not so big and great that uh, we can forget where we started. And that was, you know, in the parking lots at hospitals and uh, recreation centers all over the country that, you know, you're fighting for space just to get out and push. And we should never forget that because there's still people trying to do it that way. And you may have an elite team um, and you may have a brand new player and that new player needs to be able to experience that same rush that the elite player did it at one point in their life. Uh, because if they get it, uh, they'll be back. And uh, it's, uh, there's, there's more to the sport than just winning gold medals and uh, trophies. The, this sport, as we talked about earlier, really does change lives and um, changes them one hit, one hit at a time, if you will. And we at Move United always talk about um, whether you're doing something recreationally or competitively. We we always want to lead people, you know, through that journey or that process, you know, of of picking up a sport or picking up a game, you know, for the first time, pursuing it recreationally. But then if they have that desire to, you know, to take it to the next level and to compete at the elite level, then they then they pursue that or have the opportunity to pursue that that dream or that idea as well. You bet. It's, I mean, um, I've been in a chair for a long time, uh, almost over 35 years. And it's, uh, you know, you never say it's normal, but this is uh, the been how I've lived the majority of my life is, is from a chair. And uh, to see how our, our sport and how, um, adaptive sport has um, changed just in the you know the past ten years, mm-hmm. uh, going from a place where uh, nobody's ever heard of it to playing alongside the NFL. Um, that's huge because uh, you know people ask me where do you find your athletes, coach, and I say, well, hopefully you find them for me. You know, at the end of the <laughs> day, if you are able to watch a show uh, on the NFL. Uh, up against the NFL on a Sunday afternoon. And all of a sudden you see somebody that looks like your friend down the street or somebody you saw at the supermarket or somebody that, you know, you went to a movie theater and you noticed somebody was in a wheelchair and it's like that. I wonder if that guy could play that sport. I wonder if she's ever thought about it. You become the recruiters for me. And um, cause I mean, there's, there are so many people that, um, have just never been exposed and whether they want to do it on a professional level or whether it's something that is more of a, Hey, I just miss, miss getting out and having the fun and camaraderie and, um, joy that sport bring, um, our sport has a place for you. So, and 
and before I, I leave uh, the topic of training, um, I imagine endurance training is probably the biggest component um, that that an uh, an athlete, a wheelchair rugby player, has to has to work on. Yeah, it's it. You got to have a great base, right? You know, when you, when we talk about playing a game uh, that lasts thirty two minutes, that really is about an hour and a half in duration. Uh, it's you're constantly moving in that hour and a half. It's not like you stop, take a break, stop, take a break. Uh, you know, the stops and and goes are just that. They they happen continuously, and you know, and add on to that collisions and uh, it's it's something that is a very aerobic sport, and we on a, at, at the elite level, when we help host like a training camp that uh, we would go to, we would say like for a normal three day type push, uh, if you were to put it on your phone or whatever it is that you're tracking it with we probably average around 12 to 15 miles a day just on the gym, just in the gym on the court. And I mean, you start thinking of numbers like 45, 40 miles a day, and you're just playing a sport indoor that's stop and go. Um, that's a lot. I mean, it that's is. a whole lot. And um, so the athletes that come in and play at this level, we really – you know, encourage them to um, make sure that, you know, you understand what it is that you're looking for because it's fun. But, you know, if you give out, then somebody's going to step up and take your place. And um, we want everybody to have a good time and be safe. And to do that is, is making sure that your cardio is, is, is good to be able to do this. And I look at, um, the USA side and can do a lot of comparisons, but the, the club sides, um, we have three divisions and in those divisions, you know, it, it kind of steps down as far as uh, competitive level. And when you get to a division three, you know, those are athletes that enjoy the sport. Uh, maybe they're emerging from just being exposed to it, but their, their fitness level is, isn't always the same as what you'd see it. A division one. And so they, they're good to go for at least one or two games, but you start tacking on 45 miles in three days and they're going, it's not what I signed up for coach. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but you know, what's crazy is, is that in this odd pandemic times is, is like the one thing that we can control was, was that is being able to make sure that they were staying cardio fit, you know, with challenges and, uh, you know, checking in and, and being held accountable to a higher standard. So, yeah, and, and to me, it's always about just uh, achieving or pursuing your highest level, whatever that might be. Absolutely. I mean, the it's it's funny, you know, because we've we've done studies before, not the very informal studies, but you know, a lot of the athletes before um, they were injured, we talked about thrill seekers. But a lot of them were just like, you know, they were junkies. They were rat gym rats, you know, or they excelled. We have a um, one of our athletes, Joe Delagre, uh for USA. He uh, was a collegiate uh, tight end. And, and, I mean, 
he already had a work ethic built in. And we have another athlete that was a Marine. And, you know, when you start telling a Marine, this is what I need, they're, they're ready. They're going to run through the wall, you know? And it's, so you, when you start finding those athletes that already have the uh, DNA of what it takes to be an athlete, and you start adding on things that they've been missing, like the, the contact and the, the sport and the team aspect. And then uh, you add that camaraderie to it. It's uh, it's an easy sell. Just well, co- <laughs> <laughs> well, coach, is there anything I haven't asked you about or that you, you know, want to, want to mention in terms of the sport? No, I, I think that uh, for me, when I tell people about the sport, you know, they, they said, what hooked you? And I, and I think back, you know, I was, um, first exposed to that, as I told you, um, in my late twenties. And it was so different for me as a spinal cord injury back then in the eighties, you know, the, the people didn't, um, they weren't just, they just didn't come out like they did now, you know, and they, a lot of the reasons was it wasn't very accessible, you know, stairs are the mortal enemy of the wheelchair and, you know, sand and snow fit in there too. But I mean, there just wasn't a lot, as many opportunities and people just weren't as vocal um, back then. You'd always have one or two, but the, the change really happened in the 90s, you know, as far as the movement, if you will, uh, of, of making sure that things were a lot more accessible and with the ADA just certainly opened so many doors. But I can remember, you know, being in a mall and uh, Stephen Scott coming up to me and saying, I want to change your life. <laughs> said I don't know you uh who are you what are you <laughs> just need to give me a chance and uh I said okay and I hadn't done anything since I was injured and the, the funny thing about it was it's like I'd been craving something you know I was I was missing I'd been injured six to eight years at that point when I was introduced to rugby and I'd never even flipped my chair over my everyday chair over you know, I was very sheltered, very protected kind of a mm-hmm. life. And the first practice that we go to, we're doing warm-ups. And I'm, I literally, we are pushing around the gym. And I rolled over a ball in my everyday chair and I flipped over. And I'm laying on my back and the only people that are there are people in chairs. And I mean, I was scared out of my mind that I did something to myself. And then I'm relying on these quadriplegics to get me up off the ground. And literally they had to go flag somebody down in the parking lot and ask them to come inside and help get us help put Humpty Dumpty back together again. And by the time that they got me up, I'd already made the equation that if this sport can, I can flip over, I'm going to be okay. Life's going to go on and see that the, that it was brought to me by people that looked like me, I was going to be okay. That's that. I mean, it's, it was such a powerful uh, thing to just be a part of because it was like quads figured it out. You know, it wasn't a quad that got me off the ground, but it was quads figured out how to go get somebody to get me up off the ground. (laughs) And I got up and, finished the practice, but I, I, I literally never felt more alive 
at that moment. And it was because it was like, okay, you're going to, no matter what, you're going to be okay. And um, I don't think that I would have got to uh, that place um, had it not been the exposure to the sport. Um, it was, it was just a really powerful moment for me in my recovery of disability. And uh, I, I encourage everybody, um, able-bodied, you know, if you have some form of disability, this sport is for you. I mean, it is literally for you. Many of the, the teams that play our sport, uh, their uh, support staff or family or friends. And, you know, if you get to a practice and you're missing somebody, we have, I'm not kidding, I'm not kidding. We have a female uh, equipment uh, person for our club side at home. And she was a first sergeant in the army. <laughs> and she is a badass. She is a total badass. And so when we get to practice and somebody couldn't make it, you know, they couldn't get there. She has her own chair and she jumps in the chair and <laughs> she beats the hell out of us. You know, and she loves it. And after it's over, you know, it's the, what we said earlier, the chair was a way to be a part of something, you know, that for her that she loves and for us is even bigger. And uh, what a, what a incredible statement that says it's a, uh, uh, I, I've, I've not been a part of, of a sport where it says, well, you're wearing a helmet. So therefore, you know, you're part of the, the team. And it's like, you jump in a chair, you can be a part of this team and you didn't have to break your neck to do it. You know, you're just here with us and we're competing and um, it's, 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 it's pretty huge. So that'd be my two cents of that festival. Yeah, no, no, I appreciate that very much. And first of all, coach, I'd be remiss without thanking you for being, a coach, we, we, you know, coach, the role of coaching is so important and, and athletes, you know, uh, sports wouldn't, wouldn't be able to happen without coaches. So I just want to, I want to thank you for, for being a part of the movement and, and, and playing on that role. And I will tell you that, you know, we'll definitely be rooting team USA on uh, hopefully this summer in Tokyo. Well, we're going to need it. Everything, you know, it's a, we are looking at, at, uh, I mean, before we stopped this in March of last year, we were actually at a camp and uh, man, we had, we had things where we thought they were going in the right way to be in that game again and, um, and, and claim the victory and, and be up on top of the podium. And uh, we are doing everything we know how to do both virtually and uh, you know, in person that we can to, to get back to that place as quickly as possible so that uh, when, when the call happens and says, hey, we're going, that we're ready. So 